verse 9 and going through till uh, chapter 11, verse 15. Starting at chapter 9, at verse 9. As Saul turned to leave, Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash, the Ammonite, replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messages throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What's wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, 
and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah, 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Thank you, Jenny. Six to eight are going to head out now for Bible study. Uh, let me add to Mick's welcome this morning. It's uh, so good to, to see See you all, and uh, welcome if you're joining us online. I'm glad that you can connect with us this morning. Uh, welcome if this is your, your first time back with us. I know for some of you this, this is, and uh, it's great to be kind of moving back towards normal. We're meeting at our, our normal time of, of 9.30. We've had our normal short break, which was nice just to, to touch base with one another. And we can sing again, albeit with masks, um, but, you know, bit by bit, we'll incrementally move back towards uh, life um, in a more normal way, but it is still great to, to gather together and uh, to share this time and to open God's Word. And uh, I'll ask you to, to pray again with me as we uh, come to reflect on this part of His Word. Father God, we do thank You for the privilege of gathering. We thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would speak to our hearts, that You would shape us according to Your will, that we would live lives in honour of our King Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen. Well, uh, life brings us problems and challenges, and I expect that I, I probably don't need to persuade you of that fact. If I was to ask each of you this morning, you know, what problems are you facing? You'd, most of you would probably come up with an answer fairly quickly. But I want us to consider how we respond to the problems of life. What do we, what do, we do, and, uh, and where do we look in the face of problems? How do we respond to problems? I, I think people differ in how they respond. Some people love a problem to solve. Some people love a challenge. They, they love some adversity to overcome and, and they, uh, they might look to their own effort, their own determination to fix things. Or maybe when we face problems, we, we look to others to, to help us and to advise us. Or maybe we just uh, seek to find, find peace and, and accept the problem as something we just need to, to manage and, and put up with. Hopefully, hopefully, if we are Christian people, we, uh, we also turn to God in prayer about our problems. But how do we pray? What will we pray? Do we, do we pray, Lord, please take away our problem? Or, Lord, please send someone to, to fix this problem? 
Or maybe help me to, to fix the problem or to cope with the problem or, or to change how I see this problem. How do we respond to the challenges that come our way? I believe that these few chapters in 1 Samuel have valuable lessons for us to learn as, as we look on at the people of Israel, as we look at how they responded and how God dealt with them. We've been seeing in recent weeks that, uh, that faced with the problems of life around them, the people of Israel were faced with the, the threat of enemies. They were faced with uh, the, the leadership challenge of an ageing Samuel. And the people of Israel responded by, by telling Samuel that they wanted a king. They want a king so that they can be like the other nations, that they can have someone who will lead them and go before them in, and fight their battles for them. And so Israel put their hope in this king. And these chapters that, we've just, that Jenny's just read for us, they kind of tease out this question of this king. What sort of king does Israel want? What sort of king will God give them? And how will they respond to this king? Uh, last week we were introduced to Saul, the, the donkey chaser, and uh, we discovered that, that he will be the anointed ruler of God's people. He will deliver them from the hand of their enemies. He will govern them as God's people. And yet despite his impressive size, he's hardly a standout leader. Uh, he's presented throughout these chapters as a, a passive, naive, somewhat clueless uh, guy who is, is, is really not sure what's going on around him. And this picture of Saul continues into the, uh, this week's passage. And yet this is the man that God has chosen in response to the people's demand for a king to be like all the other nations. And so we read at the beginning of chapter 10. If you just go back, um, if you've got your Bibles open to the beginning of chapter 10 of, of Samuel privately anointing Saul as ruler. And then he says there, in, uh, halfway through verse 10, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 1, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now notice there it's the Lord who has anointed Saul, even though Samuel's the one who's pouring the oil. Um, and, and notice that he's anointed him ruler. Samuel doesn't actually use the word king. And his ruler, notice, over his inheritance, that is the Lord's inheritance. Israel still belongs to God. They are his people. They are his possession. They're his inheritance. And the Lord is still king over his people. And he will rule, albeit through his servant ruler, Saul. And so we saw last week that after anointing Saul, Samuel gave him three signs, the three things that were going to happen. And Ben explained those. But just notice one detail which will become significant as we read on. In verse 5, Samuel said, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. Now, that ought to jump out at us. Hang on. Why is there a Philistine outpost at Gibeah of God? That's not right. I mean, Israel's enemies have infiltrated the land. Well, then Samuel says to Saul that he's going to meet some prophets. The Spirit of the Lord will, will come powerfully upon him. He'll be, he will prophesy. He'll be changed into a different person. And then verse 7, he concludes, Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. 
Now, what might we expect the spirit-empowered, changed ruler of God's people, whom God is with, what might we expect him to do as he encounters a Philistine outpost in Israel's land? Surely he'll defeat Israel's enemies. He'll deliver God's people. Well, as we read on, we're told that these, uh, these three signs were fulfilled. But it talks specifically about this third sign, the procession of the, of the prophets. In verse 10, verse 10 we read, When he and his servant arrived at, at Gibeah, Gibeah should say, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, and who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? The people who know Saul were surprised to see this, this change in this man. So much so that their, that their saying, sorry, their, their question became a saying. You know, like we have sayings like, um, all, all roads lead to Rome. That's a saying that, uh, that, you know, that means that all the different approaches will, will lead to the same conclusion. It appears that this, uh, this, this uh, saying, is Saul among the prophets, became a, a, a saying to, to indicate when, when you encounter someone who's doing something surprising or unexpected. Is Saul also among the prophets? So like, if you hear that, well, Bertie's going to be leading the singing today, you might say, is Saul also among the prophets? Sorry to pick on you, Bertie. You're not leading the singing? Maybe you will, and we'll all say, wow, is Saul also among the prophets? So this was, this was really surprising to those that knew him. It seems that the, the people of Israel are struggling to see Saul as the leader that God has chosen him to be. And you can understand their struggle, given what he does, or more to the point, given what he doesn't do. Because there he is. He arises, arrives at Gabeah, where, remember, there was a Philistine outpost. And as Samuel has foretold, he met the prophets. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. He was changed into a different person. He prophesied with them. And remember his instructions to do whatever your heart finds to do, for God is with you. And so we read verse 13. After Saul, Saul stopped prophesying, he took up the jawbone of a donkey and slaughtered the Philistines all the way to... No, hang on, it doesn't say that. After, Philist, after Saul um, stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. It's a bit of an anticlimax. Now, this might be what he was told to do. He was, he was meant to go to Gilgal and wait for Samuel to come to him. It could be that this high place was at Gilgal. At any rate, we're wondering, waiting for this, where's this overthrow of the Philistines? Is Saul really up to the task? It's a bit underwhelming. As his, as his, his interview with his uncle in verse 14, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Uh, looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Perhaps Saul's uncle here has an inkling about what's going on. He's aware of, what, of the state of things in Israel. But Paul, sorry, Saul deflects spectacularly while still not actually lying. Verse 16, Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. 
he just kind of skipped over that whole bit about being anointed ruler over God's inheritance and everything else that Samuel had said to him. He forgot to mention those small details. It's fairly underwhelming. Is this the king that Israel wants? Well, it's been two chapters since Israel first asked uh, asked Samuel for a king. And things have been brewing as we've followed the adventures of the donkey chaser. But things come to a head as Samuel gathers all Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. Is this the grand reveal? Well, Samuel starts by delivering a uh, sobering speech, verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. Now, Mizpah was the place back in chapter 7 where the people had gathered and and recommitted themselves to the Lord after their rebellion. And then they then went on to see a great victory over their enemies. And, and you might be thinking, well, is this going to happen again? As Samuel reminds them that the Lord is their saviour, but they've rejected him in their defiance and their desire for a king. And, and Samuel confronts them in this and concludes in verse, verse 19, so now, or therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. It strikes an ominous note. The Lord is your God, you have rejected him, so present yourselves before him, front up to the Lord. Uh, This is especially ominous for those, for anyone who knows Israel's history. Uh, Years earlier, you can read it in Joshua 7, there was a similar scene where uh, they were threatened with punishment after one man, Achan, uh, he he acted in disobedience and, and the Lord brought Israel together and, and brought them tribe, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, until the culprit was found. And this scene is kind of reminiscent of that, except that when Saul's name is chosen, he's nowhere to be found, until the Lord then reveals that he's hidden himself amongst the supplies. And so verse 23, they ran and, and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Despite his reluctance, he outwardly he looks the part. And so the people shouted, Long live the king. They seemingly coronate him on the spot with shouting. Now notice Samuel then does two things. Verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. They want a king who's just like all the other nations. But the Lord says through Samuel, no, this is what the king will be like. Here are the rights, here are the duties of the kingship, of of the king in Israel, in my kingdom. Uh, it's likely it was something similar to, uh, along the lines of Deuteronomy 17, which Moses had, uh, had delivered to Israel years earlier. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, Moses said to Israel, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and 
giving you and you have taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. It's fascinating that Moses predicted this is what was going to happen, what God did through Moses. What are they to do? Verse 15, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So that's what Moses said to Israel back in Deuteronomy 17. It's likely that Samuel here writes this or something similar to it as he delivers to Israel the rights and the duties of the kingdom. That's the first thing he does. But then secondly, having selected the man, having brought him out on display and and everyone's shouting, long live the king, and Samuel gives them the instructions. We might expect a great ceremony, a great anointing, a coronation. But no, verse 25 concludes, then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also, verse 26, went to his home in Gabeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Really is a roller coaster, isn't it? I mean, is Saul the man? Is, is he the king that people want? He seems to be the king that, that God has chosen for them, but then he doesn't really seem to be up to the task. And we're left with the question, at least on some people's lips, how can this fellow save us? And it seems that that opinion of Saul just increases as we read on in chapter 11, where the scene switches to the Israelite city of Jabesh-Gilead, which is under siege from their enemies, the Ammonites, from Nahash the Ammonite. Now, faced with this enemy attack, what do the men of Jabesh do? Do they, they go out and fight? No. They say to this foreign king, verse 1, Make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. In other words, they're saying, please, will you be our king? How far have Israel fallen? This isn't just wanting to have a king who is like those of the other nations. It's wanting to have a king who is a king of the other nations. But Naash isn't interested in, in a treaty. He just wants violence. He just wants disgrace for Israel. Verse 2, but Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. So what are they to do? Well, what are their options? They could call out to the Lord. That would be a good option. They could call out to Saul, who had just been appointed king, who had just been chosen to deliver them from the hands of their enemies. That would be a good option, but they don't do either of those. They've, they've forgotten the Lord and, and Saul doesn't even seem to rate a mention. Um, instead, they send messengers throughout Israel in the hope that maybe someone will rescue them from the Ammonites. 
Uh, even the messengers, when they came to, to Gibeah, they don't seek out Saul. I mean, they tell the rest of the people, and Saul is not even there. He's out in the fields. And even when he returns, they don't say, oh, hey, Saul, guess what's happening? You really need to know this. No, he has to seek them out and to find out what's happening. It seems that no one thinks that letting Saul know is, is worth, worth bothering with, to let him know about this threat from Israel's enemies. So it wasn't just a few scoundrels who were questioning whether God's chosen king could save them. It appears that none of them thought that he could. But what they lost sight of is that the Lord is their true king and that he has already chosen Saul, the impressive-looking donkey chaser, to be, to be his agent of deliverance. And so when Saul heard the words, verse 6, God acted. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. And then we read on with some clever military strategy. Saul led the people of Israel into battle and defeated their enemies. But notice who was energizing and who was motivating this victory. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. The terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. The Lord is still king. He is still the true king who saves and it seems that at last the people are starting to see this. As Saul says in, in response to the, the suggestion after this great victory, the, the suggestion of putting the, the Saul skeptics to death, Saul says, verse 13, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Saul's seeing straight here, it's the Lord who rescues them. And so Samuel says, verse 14, Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. Whose kingship is he speaking of? Is it Saul's kingship? Is it God's kingship? Is it perhaps both. I think it's, it's deliberately ambiguous. Let us renew there, renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. This is a high point for Israel. Gilgal was the place where they had previously celebrated God's deliverance from their enemies. You can read that in Joshua 4 and 5. And notice here they made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. This is not a king like all the other nations. This is a king in the presence of the Lord. Likewise, they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. God had saved his people from their enemies through his spirit-empowered king and his people acknowledged God as their true king with joy and celebration. But what does this teach us? 
I think firstly and, and fundamentally, it shows us the faithfulness of God. Despite Israel's rejection of him as their king, despite their inclination to face the problems around them and to, to, not, to not seek God's word, but to look to the world around them for solutions, despite their ignoring of the king that God had provided, despite all that, the Lord is still faithful and he saved his people from their enemies. And this ought to comfort us deeply because the same is true of us. Despite our folly and ignorance, God is still faithful. He has still provided the perfect, spirit-empowered King, our Lord Jesus, to save us from our greatest problem, from our worst enemies, from sin and death, from judgment, from the evil one. Today is the day of salvation. And so we need not live like the the people of Jabesh-Gilead in in darkness and fear, hoping for for some sort of deliverance. Now we can live with joy and celebration. Even despite the, the temporary challenges and problems of life, we can live with joy and celebration because we have a sure salvation from a faithful God through his spirit empowered king. We have a savior. We have a king. And so the encouragement for us today, like that of Samuel to the people of Israel, is to renew the kingship, to acknowledge the Lord our God as king, to embrace Jesus as our king. So brothers and sisters, come, let us go, not to Gilgal, but let us go to the cross of Jesus who died to save us and there Renew the kingship. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your faithfulness to us, despite our, at times, unfaithfulness. We thank you for providing your Son, our Lord Jesus, your chosen, spirit-empowered King to save us. Father, as we face the problems and challenges of life, please guard us from turning to the world's ways. Guard us from taking on its values, its priorities. Please keep us close to you, trusting in you, listening to your word. Father, renew your kingship, your kingdom in our lives. May we look to and follow and live for Jesus as our King. And we pray in his name. Amen.